What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of NHL Fantasy on Ice. Today, we've got a special guest, Nick Alberga, filling in for Pete Jensen. Nick, I imagine you're feeling pretty good today. Yeah, I am, you know, for a variety of reasons, um, not the least of which it's Tuesday. Happy to wake up every day, but the other thing happened to uh, the Islanders that uh, didn't play too well in game one, did they? So I don't know about you, Nick. I, I had the Islanders getting swept in this series. I just, there first two things here. Number one, their path aligned perfectly for them to get to this position. I'm not taking anything away from the team, okay? But their path aligned perfectly for them to get to this position. The problem now that I see, the second problem here is they had to play so hard along that path. They looked absolutely gassed in that first game. I don't know if that had anything to do with the travel, Nick, or if that was just, there's nothing left in the tank. You hate to use fatigue as an excuse, but let's not forget Tampa did have a week off between games. I don't care if they had to change bubbles and go from Toronto to Edmonton, and they flew later in the week, I believe, on Friday. The Islanders wrapped up Game 7 on Saturday night against the Philadelphia Flyers. So, you know, it was probably expected, at least in my opinion, your opinion, that the Islanders would come out flat. I still give this team a shot in this series, and it pains me to say that. Um, I know Tampa looked really, really good, but never underestimate a coach like Barry Trotz, who could go down one of the, uh, as one of the best ever. Just what he's done, especially the last couple of years when it comes to the New York Islanders, is, is downright impressive. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not jumping on it just quick and saying the Islanders are finished. I expect a much better effort, but rest assured, they can't play that type of style and expect to be successful, that's for sure. I'll say it for all of us. The Islanders are finished. I hate, <laughs> to, be the, I hate to be the guy putting my neck out there, but I'll go back to the Florida Panthers uh, playing series here. I was the only guy on the Islanders. And yeah. I'm officially declaring it over. I love watching the run, but off-season mode engaged. I would be absolutely shocked if the Islanders find a way to win this series. Question for you guys. I can't blame Thomas Grice for those first three goals in that game one. They went to Varlamov. He got lit up. Now the question is, who do you go to in game two? Do you go to Varlamov or do you go to Grice? Now Trotz has sort of set this up where he's got to make these decisions. Where would you go, Nick? Well, I think uh, clearly they have the godfather there so he can get into the league system and say, hey, the white whale, uh, we should make him eligible to play and we can have Elias Sorokin for game two. But you're right. I, I think coaches get way too cheeky with goaltending decisions. Like just go to Semyon Varlamov. He started every game pretty much for this team in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I think they got a bit too cheeky. I know Thomas Grace won game seven, but I think you want to start off fresh in a new series, clearly against one of the better teams in hockey, and you go with your backup or your 1B at least with that, because no doubt in the second half, guys, Semyon Varlamov uh, was the number one for the New York Islanders. So, you know, they probably still wouldn't have won that game, but still, to have Semyon Varlamov come in cold, I would have started him, Rob. You go back to Varlamov for sure, no question. Yeah. I'm surprised they even gave Grace as many chances as they did in, in this format. It's just, I know the two goalie thing is hot right now. It doesn't make sense to me though, for the Islanders, they're going to go back to Varlamov. I think he'll write the ship a little bit, Bob, to kind of answer that dilemma. But my overarching concern here is that the Islanders really haven't had this adversity in a long time. You have to go back to January and February when that team started to collapse. We have not seen that in a long time. And I hate to brand this Barry Trotz team as a streaky team, but that's what they were in the regular season. We're going to see it here now. I think they're out of gas, and I think the scoring is going to dry up from the guys that were overachieving. 
I love I love you just writing a eulogy after one game. Like, just give it some time, <laughs> let it fester a bit. Like, you know, I'm I'm not the biggest Islanders fan out there, but to watch one game and say, hey, this series is over, I can't go that far yet. Nick, I'm I'm telling you though, like I, I hate to overreact to one game. This is not an overreaction. No, this is an eight to two blowout loss in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, this should not be happening. I don't care what the travel schedule was. If it was a back to back. What the circumstance? There should not be an eight to two absolute scorching blowout in the first game of the Eastern Conference. But no chance. Yeah, they got embarrassed on national TV. You're right, um, but I think you know the, the the most impressive part to me, guys, about Tampa's run here, and they look so motivated and locked in. And again, they're most of our Stanley Cup picks. I picked them. Um, it, it's just no Steven Stamkos, and they're trucking right along. Uh, their back end looks healthy. I think if they're one team who could have benefited from the week off, it was probably them, especially when you have Victor Hedman, who's played so much hockey over the last couple of years. Ryan McDonough was banged up earlier on in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And no Steven Samkos. And still, Rob, this team is 11-3. and three. Uh, I thought Vasilevsky looked solid in that game. Uh, they got the power play going, which is even worse news uh, for the New York Islanders. So I don't like the Isles' chances. But again, I do expect a different Islanders team in game two. I'll go that far and say that. I said last week that um, it would be a real shame and quite ironic if Tampa were to win a Stanley Cup with Steven Stamkos not playing a role. And then I'm on Twitter, and we all know Twitter, uh, hockey Twitter especially, can, can get out of hand at times. But I did see, while watching this game and watching these last few games in the series and the wins that Tampa's putting together – they might have a cap crunch next year. And now, well, if they win the Stanley Cup, do they trade Stamkos? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's crazy that we're talking about this, but no. um, if they win the Stanley Cup with the group that's on the ice, I mean, do you go pay Steven Stamkos? Well, I don't now, buy that. We're to, we're, I love how we're even talking about this. Clearly, yeah. we're, the ship has sailed on the Islanders. We're talking about trading Stamkos after a cup victory. I don't think any of us can sit here with a straight face and make a hard argument as to why the Islanders are going to somehow get back in the series and win the cup. <laughs> I love Listen, we're writing them off like 10 minutes into the pod. I love this. Go ahead. I just, I just think, I mean, they're two different class of teams. Now, I think the Islanders will get a game or two. I, I think the series will go six. I don't think it's a clean yeah, sweep. I, got six. I, think, I think it'll go six. Um, Barry Trotzel will steal a few games. The goaltending will steal a few games. And the Islanders had some scoring chances. Um, you know, early in that game, uh, Vasilevsky, he's the best goalie in the league. If he's not the best, he's the second best. So, and he made some big saves. Nelson on the shorty, right? Shorthanded opportunity. Some big saves early in the game. Um, so the Islanders could have had a couple early that would have changed the complexion of the game. I think really, I think the seven game series drained them. I think then they had to travel and then they just got caught off guard with really how good Tampa is and, and has been. Yeah, I think the tone setter was clearly early on in that game where the flyby, the blowby, if you will, from the NBA and Ryan Pulak got worked by Braden Point. Uh, that was an unbelievable finish. I think we got to give Braden Point some love on this pod too. You talk about guys having to elevate their play, especially knowing Steven Stamkos is not in that lineup. Braden Point just says all the little things right. And I said this early on in the playoffs. This run by Braden Point reminds me a lot of Mark Shifley a couple years ago for the Winnipeg Jets, where he just scored big goal after big goal. Uh, I think he scored 13 to 17 or something like that on the road, Mark Shifley, a couple years ago in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Every game's on the road this time around, and Braden Point has been tremendous. It's so great when you get that five-point night, too, guys, that you catapult yourself 
I guess, in the eligible players right now, first in scoring. McKinnon's still in first as we speak right now. Yeah, I mean, and every play's a highlight reel. I mean, yeah. Kevin Shadkirk breakout pass, as soon as it's on Kucherov or, or point stick, I mean, you have to think it's at least a scoring chance, if not a goal. You see so, that Cooch pass last night? Ooh. Ridiculous, man. I showered like, three times after that. He, that's kind of stuff. Nick is like when we're going to look back on their cup run like that's going to be one of the main highlights like you, you you're not going to see that um from anybody else but the, the reason why I'm concerned for the Islanders in game two guys and why I would hammer the lightning here look at the ice time Barry Trotz teams in the playoff are notorious for balanced ice time they could not do that in game one against the lightning even in a blowout the lightning on the other hand guys like Shattenkirk played 13 minutes Kucherov played 17 minutes these are superstars that could be playing 20-plus minutes, not, not Chad and Kirk on the superstar conversation, but still, Brain Point, Kucherov, those guys could be up around 22 minutes. They're rested. They're, they're wheeling. I mean, Nick mentioned it earlier. They had time off. Like, I just don't understand. Even I don't care who's in net for the Islanders, Barlamov, Grice. You cannot, please do not bet on New York in game two. Let me ask you this then, uh, because this is the question dating back to the Philadelphia-Montreal series. Uh, how, do you, how do you think Tampa handled their five-on-three up 17 goals there in the third period? Because I'm more inclined to say, hey, go with your guys, because watching them play rope-a-dope on a five-on-three power play, I didn't like it very much. I, I honestly, I just don't care, to be honest. I don't know if they do either. You know what I mean? Like, at, that, they're just, at this point, it's a, it's a glorified practice in the third yeah. period. You get some new looks. You get some new line combinations that you wanted to tinker around with. I, I don't know. But I, I will say this, Nick. Like, guys like Yanni Gord, who now quietly has five goals. Guys like Kevin Shattenkirk, who now is up to, like, eight-plus assists. Like, these are guys that, over the course of a run, like, they're going to get some ba- major, major points here. Palat finally got the shooting percentage up. He's scoring every game now. Like, I know there's no Stamkos, but I think this is honestly better for the Lightning to be that well-rounded team that we've been wanting and not that Kucherov-Stamkos point line where it's kind of just that, like, Harlem Globetrotters, if they don't score, they're not winning kind of hockey. Yeah, they were outstanding, and I was having a tough time trying to figure out who struggled more uh, on Monday night. Was it my Toronto Raptors who got thumped by the uh, Boston Celtics? Or was it the game ops in Edmonton? How did nobody in the building know that Yanni Hockey scored that goal, like, including Yanni Gord? It, it was so bizarre, was it not? That was bizarre. That was bizarre. Man. <laughs> <laughs> like, usually, uh, you know, the one thing for me when I watch a game, I look at the player and the goaltender's reaction. The goalie re- was out of the play, wasn't even in the crease. And Yanni Gord just kept skating. Like, dude, you just <laughs> scored. Do you not realize that? Like, it was so weird to me. I don't know. I have to say, though, enough about the Lightning Islanders. Like, I, I've got Over. no more takes Over. for the Islanders. Unless, Bob, you've got something to say about the Islanders. No, I don't have much on the series. We'll, we'll get to the Vegas-Dallas um, scenario. I just wanted to talk Consmith here. Uh, I know it's early, and Braden Point with the, with the five points he had last night, I mean, is sort of the, the leading horse, right, you would think? I mean, throw out mm-hmm. some names. Who are you leaning? Uh, I guess Vegas has a few guys that you would consider, right? Yeah, I would go with Johnny Infamous, who does the DJing at uh, Rogers Place in Edmonton. He has been tremendous. I've requested some songs, and he's delivered. Um, aside from him, I would go Dave Panyota of the fourth period. He's also been at every game in Toronto now <laughs> in Edmonton. Uh, but jokes aside, um, it, it's kind of intriguing to me, guys, in the Western Conference final, two young defensemen, relatively young, I think, when you look at Shea Theodore, are leading the way for me. Shea Theodore in the back end for Vegas. And how about the infant? 21-year-old Miro Haskinen, maybe as old as uh, Pete Jensen's new baby. Um, (laughs) He's been tremendous. I know he sort of struggled in game one, but that's the way I look at it from the West point of view. In the East, uh, I'll go with Braden Point and Braden Point because the Islanders aren't winning. 
I'm going with Nick Kucherov. The reason why Kucherov still has a little bit more to gain is shooting percentage is low compared to his career average in the playoffs. I think that five-point night gets him to a new level. I think he's going to start putting pucks in the back of the net a little bit more. And over the course of the time, I think he's going to be your front runner. If I had to pick the odds right now, I would definitely say Kucherov won. I like the appeal of Vasilevsky, Bob, just in like a, hey, he might steal a couple games, a couple shutouts. But I think when you're playing the Islanders, they're not a high-octane offense. or At least they have, they have been in these playoffs. I'll have to give them credit for that. But overall, they're not on paper. So I think that's going to hurt Vasilevsky's chance at maybe that argument. So I'd go Kucherov 1.2. I do like the appeal of Vegas, but that's just a well-rounded team. Like Theodore's a great player, but that's more of a team effort. To me, the Lightning are really led by Kucherov in point right now. Let's give the Islanders some love, too. Hypothetically, if they roll on, who are we looking at? Brock Nelson, J.G. Pajot? You're saying no. Okay. I can't entertain I can't entertain this. Like, I love what Bavillier's done. I love that we've seen Barzell become a total warrior, uh, a guy that can play for Ross Johnston. Out. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's move the <laughs> ship along here. Nick. I know what you're doing. You're throwing out bait, and I'm Never taking done it. This. Never done um, this before, ever. <laughs> But in uh, just swinging back to, to Vegas here, though, yeah. what's interesting about that series in game one, I think from Dallas's perspective, is that they've shown they can win just about any way. Yeah. They can win a tight scoring game. They can win in high event fashion. And that's to me, Nick, that's something that I haven't seen out of this Dallas team in a long time. There's always been concerns. If, can they put the puck in the net? And then when the scoring dries up, can they keep it tight? And it looks like they've answered all those questions in this postseason. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think to take things even further, um, you know, one of the best quotes in hockey, Anton Hudobin, uh, let's not forget, he's a UFA. Somebody's going to overpay for this guy in the offseason. I can't wait to see who it is. Maybe Peter Shirelli comes back into this league and he's the GM who makes it happen. Perhaps in Arizona, who knows? Um, but that, that's the thing for me. And as I said it right away, uh, following that one nothing win for Dallas in game one of the West Final was their ability to win different ways. And I think the epiphany, the galvanization, if you will, of this team happened a couple of weeks back against Calgary where they started to really find their offense. And that's a scary thing. And we said it at the time that if Dallas were to find their offense, they're going to be a difficult team to, believe, uh, to beat. And, and Rob, if you do remember in the round robin play, Dallas is really, really struggling to find their offense. They couldn't score. Um, I think they were seconds away, actually, from losing and finishing fourth um, and having to play Vancouver, I believe, in the first round of this, in, the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So it's, qu it's funny how quickly things can change. And, and that's, you know, I understand they score one goal in the first game, and that's enough. But th their offense is really humming along. Tyler Sagan, I thought, played his best game I've seen in a while in game one. So no doubt Colorado found it out firsthand, and I think Vegas to a, a degree in game one, too. I want to ask you guys, do you think it's sustainable? Like, do you think that there's any chance that they kind of come down to earth, so to speak? I'm not taking away from, from what they've done. I think that's phenomenal. They finally broke through. They were due, right? But do you think that that's going to be a sustainable thing? I think it is. Um, you know, if you want to discuss uh, sustainability, I don't think Dallas being that physical is something sustainable for the entire series. Like, I think I even heard from Panyota, he got hit and he was in section 321. They, they were, I couldn't believe the stats. I don't know who does the stats, but 49 47 in, in favor of, of Dallas. I don't buy that. It seemed like every time I looked up to watch the game, it was a Dallas hit. I don't think that's sustainable. I think Ryan Reese's return um, to the Vegas lineup will have an impact going forward in this series. I think he's a shift disturber you got to say that carefully um it's an it's imperative to bring his name up um, but goal scoring I, I i just think dallas has found it um i don't think it's a thing that you turn on and off i think they've been looking for it all season long haven't found it and now they're really starting to click 
Um, I just love what their secondary guys have brought. Yoel Kiviranta, what an amazing story in Game 7 against Colorado. Gets that Hattie and good on him. Um, you know, Dennis Skorianov, if you will, has really, you know, ignited his play. Sagan's playing better. Uh, Scory Perry, what he's brought to the table there in a veteran role. Um, you know, they're still missing Andrew Cogliano, which I think is tough. But even up front, they they got the lunch pail guys. Like, I love the way Radulov plays. He plays really heavy. Jamie Benn. Um, I think it is conducive for success and, and long-term sustainability when it comes to their offense here, Rob. Two things I want to shine light on for Vegas. Number one is their power play. 18.8% right now. That's 10th in the league. That's not good enough. You've got to be over 20, 22 even percentage to win a cup. So they've got to figure that out, maybe get some new looks on that. That's an easy way for them to start scoring early in games, take advantage and get some momentum on their side. The second thing that has to be said, elephant in the room here, is what's going on with the Flurry versus Laner situation? Like, it seems like they, those guys are fine. They're not, it's not a head case situation. But it seems to me that this is carrying on a little bit too much now. It's obviously a luxury. It's a champagne problem, if you will, to be able to go to either one of those guys. But now it's like, okay, every single game here, Nick, if Flurry loses, they're going back to Laner. If Laner loses, they're going back to Flurry. At what point do you just say, hey, we've got our guy and we're riding him out? No, I think they were listening to the Fantasy on Ice podcast like, what, six months ago when I said Marc-Andre Fleury was going elsewhere following this season. Um, the Alan Walsh tweet did not help. Um, I was baffled when we saw Marc-Andre Fleury in game one. Not that he was the issue. It's just more so how it's presented to the players, right? And who knows when they do find out. But, you, you, you know, anybody who's played sports and especially hockey, you play a bit different knowing who's, who's in between the pipes. It's just the fact of the matter. And it's not like they don't have any confidence in – in, in what Marc-Andre Fleury has brought. But, I mean, Robin Leonard has been incredible. So, I think when push comes to shove and we, we look back at this series, um, this could actually hinder, um, you know, this soap opera, if you will, could hinder the Vegas Golden Knights in potentially having success. Not, again, that they made the wrong decision. It's just the way they've, they've gone about their business here. I think Robin Leonard should be their guy, and they should show that day in and day out. I was surprised that Leonard didn't start game one. I guess it had to do with the three games in, in four nights and having they had a fresh... five months off though, right? Like... I, I know <laughs> to me after the way they won game seven with him making the save, I just, yeah. I mean, I just toss him back out there. Exactly. I don't think flurry wasn't the problem. I mean, I think he was a huge problem, but yes, what you said, Nick, the players in front, you know, when they're having to, you know, not have that consistency. I mean, it's going to be Leonard in game two, um, but I guess the three games and four nights, it was just let's get a fresh body in there. I was also shocked for game seven. Again, hockey Twitter. I never thought for a second the board was going to start Flurry in game seven. I just I did not believe that. And everyone won, you know, screaming for Flurry. Oh, Flurry game seven, Flurry game seven, Flurry game seven. I said that, no. that just doesn't make sense to me. I'm glad he stuck with Leonard. It paid off. They ended up winning the game one nothing. He made a great save. Um, but I didn't buy into that to that garbage that Flurry should have started game seven. No, I, I, I wasn't either. I was right there with you, Bob. But I, I think here for, for Vegas, it's, and it's funny because I'm not overreacting to one game. I'm a little bit concerned, though, about this team. I think what, what's going on here, Nick, is it kind of reminds me of last year when we saw St. Louis really just start to win in these funky ways where we're like, are they really winning this game, this style of hockey? Like Destiny, my man. It, it, right. It didn't yeah. really make sense for a while. And then I remember in the Stanley Cup final, finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm just picking St. Louis here because they seem yeah. to win no matter what the opponent is doing. They're winning when they're scoring. They're winning when they're not scoring. Like, it didn't really make sense for a while. And they were super physical as well, Nick, which you alluded to earlier. That's why I picked Vegas to go to the Stanley Cup final. 
I'm starting to just maybe back off of that a little bit. I'm not ready to go in on Dallas, but I just wanted to say, like, I really appreciate how this Dallas team has figured it out, how they started to score, how they start to be physical every single game and really take that momentum. And it's very hard to get it back from them in Colorado. I mean, that series was phenomenal in terms of entertainment perspective. Say what you want about Colorado being a little bit banged up, but you have to give credit to Dallas that they found a way to keep coming back, keep answering. Every time Colorado scored, they were right there, a scoring chance, really on the face-off later. It's, it's crazy to see it. Before we get to Nick's reaction on that, I just wanted to toss this out to Nick. Nick, you've already heard this because I texted you. Um, I thought the turning point of that Dallas Avalanche Game 7 was when Dallas takes the lead, I think it was 4-3, uh, with about three, minute, three minutes and change left in the game. The way they celebrated that goal was like they won the Stanley Cup, like they won the series. It was way over the top. They're jumping, leaping. I thought when I saw that celebration, this was live and in living color. I said, you guys got to calm down here. You got three and a half minutes left. Then what happens? Ten seconds later you know, rush up ice, you know, puck on the Kiviranta stick, boom, cranks it in there. But that celebration, if you go back and look at it, and I've done it, I've gone back and looked at it. It was like a Stanley Cup celebration. It was like, a, it was like an overtime series game winner. And that right there was too much for me if I'm an Avalanche fan. I'm like, well, what is going on there? Yeah, and I think further proof that Dallas could be a team of destiny. But then you look in the Eastern Conference, Tampa's also a team of destiny. They won a game that went to five overtimes, and it always seems to be Braden Point. But this is the way it happened last year, too, right? Like, Boston was playing excellent hockey, too, and sadly, only one team can win. But I came on this very podcast, what, three weeks ago? I was on the Fantasy 4 check on uh, Sportsnet's YouTube channel as well. I had Dallas. Uh, I think you have to be battle-tested, and it was nothing against the Colorado Avalanche, but... What adversity have they faced in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Nathan McKinnon can get all the points he wants. Um, you know, the other thing that's so imperative to bring up, Marc-Andre Fleury, put the guy in Colorado. I know it's probably not going to happen because it's a conference rival, if you will. But they need it. Like, with all due respect to Michael Hutchinson, he's not an NHL goalie. And, guys, why do I know this? I cover the Toronto Maple Leafs. I had this discussion uh, for like a year, a year too long in my opinion. He, he's – He's worse than the top 62 goalies in this league. And I'm not trying to rip on Michael Hutchinson. All due respect, the guy plays in the league. Congrats to him. But I think that series turned in a hurry in favor of Dallas when Grubauer got hurt, then especially, specifically when Pavel Francouz got hurt. Uh, there was not much more. Every shot was pretty much going in. They, they tried to build a strong, strong house, a mansion, if you will, in front of him, but still it wasn't enough. So I think you're right in bringing up that reaction, but – I just think, uh, Rob, Dallas seems to be a team of destiny right now. They are, Nick. And, and another area of, of slight concern for me for the Vegas Golden Knights is Paul Stasny. It's funny that he's not producing more. He's playing about 15 minutes per game. He's got solid line mates that can put the puck in the back of the net. And this is a player that normally does produce in the playoffs in his career. So I'm a little mm -hmm. bit surprised he's got 63 points in 93 postseason games that he's not giving them a little bit more. And I think it, it boils down to a shade further when you look at Klingberg, you look at Heisken, and you look at Dallas's blue line. Like, they're getting more production from their blue line than some of these secondary Golden Knights forwards. And we know, we've seen it. Pacioretty, he can dry up at any minute. Um, Mark Stone, as much as he's a dominant two-way player, he can get a little hot and cold, too. When he's scoring, he's scoring with the best of them. But when he dries up, he goes about two or three games without any production. So you're going to need somebody like a Paul Stasny to hit for you in DFS, to start scoring goals, and to get this team riled back up into the series. 
Who's ready for Stats Guy Nick Alberga? As you guys know, I am uh, covering the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final for uh, the Sportsnet Radio Network. The last four games for the Vegas Golden Knights, they've scored four goals, two from Shea Theodore and two empty netters. I believe dating back to something like August 30th, they have not got a goal past a goalie by a forward. So I think you're totally right in bringing that up as we speak right now, of course, and a lot can change over the next couple of days. But I think the key here, and I'm wondering if Pete DeBoer throws these lines in a blender. I brought this up on my broadcast the other night that I know Chandler Stevenson's been centering that top line, the top six there. Paul Stasny's played a lot in the past with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. I wonder if they go back to that well. Um, I still wonder about the impact of Ryan Reeves coming back from that one-game suspension after his hit on Tyler Mott. Um, so there's that factor as well. And I think Vegas is a team that's prided themselves – on you know being an offensive bunch a team with depth and I think it's start start to utilize that a bit more in in, in the way they play the game but I, I do think it's inevitable that Vegas finds their scoring touch there's a lot of talent on that roster well I hope so too just from a fan perspective that we yeah. can get a long series here I don't think Dallas is going to run away with this my my final thing here for the Vegas Golden Knights so I, I hope Pete DeBoer is not feeling the pressure of having a veteran guy like Marc-Andre Fleury kind of not breathing down his neck but just be in there in the locker room saying, I'd like to play. His, obviously, you mentioned with the, what happened with the agent earlier in the program. Uh, you got to just say, Laner, this is your opportunity to lose. We're going to give you a few games here. If he doesn't do well, you go back to Flurry. But I really think it would do a whole lot of good, inspire a whole lot of confidence in that Vegas team to say, we're going with Laner until we start to look different. I agree with you. And also, should I add that we're all in agreement that Robin Leonard is re-signing with Vegas, right? 100%, man. And this is because, what makes good teams. This is what makes good shrewd management. You've got to cut your losses, get the new guys in there, and not yeah. waste any time. When you dilly-dally in the NHL and you've got goalies that are hanging around a team for too long, you burn yourself. You lose all their value. Then you can't even find a trade partner for these guys. Yeah, shrewd's a perfect word, Rob, because, uh, you know, this isn't uh, the I love you league where, hey, let's, let's all be friends and family it's like no we want to win league and it's nothing against Marc-Andre Fleury he's getting a little longer in the tooth and Robin Leonard seems to be the it guy in terms of in between the pipes and I think a lot too the track record right with this Vegas management team every big name they seem to bring up uh, seems to re-sign long term um, and the two big prolific ones clearly are Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty that's why you know a lot of people are including Robin Leonard in conversation hey could he go to this team I, I, I think it's locked up already I think behind the scenes just speculation on my part that they know what they need to do to get the job done and get Robin Leonard uh, re-signed in Vegas. I think he's he's been a tremendous story the last couple of years, and uh, shout out to the Islanders, of course. And it's true here, too, that the, I've heard that the Avalanche are already looking at goalies in the offseason. Matt Murray? Matt Murray? Right. So it's like yeah. th that's the perfect example of a team that's not, gonna will, that's not willing to wait around, give a guy five chances. Hey, do you have an injury history? Great, we'll give you two more years. No. Go <laughs> out, get a player that you can count on, and stick to that because more often than not, that's what gets you done. That's what gets you into the Stanley Cup Finals. This two-goalie system, as much as it's trendy right now, it really hasn't proved anything. You haven't won yet, right? So, so Vegas minus 155 on the money line. Do they respond and win game two? Minus 155. I actually think it's a pretty decent price. I would expect Vegas to level the series. Like Rob said, I don't see Dallas running away with the series, but I am a little concerned with the scoring drought that Vegas is uh, currently going through. Nick, where do you lean for game two? My heart and my gut are, are telling me two different things. Because I had this series going seven games, I think Vegas ties it up. 
but for some reason, as we've talked about through this podcast, my gut just tells me we said this after game one against Colorado and Dallas came out in one game too. This team is locked in. I think an encouraging sign for them. They found a way to win a game one, nothing. Their offensive guys didn't do much, right? So how, how long are you going to keep Sagan down? Radulov, Jamie Benn, uh, Gorianov. I mean, the list goes on. So that's a frightening aspect to look at, I think, when you're Vegas. So I'll say, um, you know, from a money standpoint, I hope Vegas wins this game. But I would not be shocked if Dallas takes a 2-0 lead here, guys. Bob, I want to make the case for Vegas here. My gut is telling me don't do it. It's too similar <laughs> to St. Louis of last year. You just can't bet against that team. I hope that Vegas finds a way to get some goals in this game. I hope the chemistry clicks and we can talk about how they should be the Stanley Cup favorite later in the week here. But until that, Bob... I'm going to take a pass here. If anything, I'll put a little shekel on Dallas. Okay. All right. Well, I think that determines my decision, which is I'm going to lay out and keep an eye on it. Um, And yes, it is very similar to St. Louis and San Jose, where it's like, or how many times last year, you're like, oh, St. Louis or the team playing St. Louis is going to respond and win the game. And then St. Louis would win the game. And you'd be like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. So I could see the similarities for sure. Let's just lay out and watch and see what happens. Okay, fine. Let's do it. Exactly. If you have any questions in the meantime, hit us up on Twitter. Nick is at the Golden Muzzy. Bob, he's at Airchecked. I'm at NHL Reese. And I think Petey's off for a little bit, but you can still hit him up on Twitter at NHL Jensen. Pete's on Papa duty. He's on Papa duty for the next couple weeks. So thanks for listening. Nick, thanks for joining us, buddy. That's big time from you. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, Anytime, guys. And as we saw, the NHL draft got moved up a couple days. Can't wait for that. Uh, Can't wait to see Alexi Lafreniere in the uh, Broadway blue shirt. Well, according to Bob, it's going to be Quentin Byfield. So keep an eye on that. You didn't hear about that? Yeah, Bobby Insider. Yeah, Bobby Insider. They're they're taking Byfield first overall, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're taking Byfield first overall. They want a center, Nick. So Maybe in 2060. We'll talk to you down the line, though, Nick. All right? We'll get you (laughs) on. We'll talk about it. Thanks for listening. Take care, guys. Appreciate it. Take care, everybody.